Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. You know, nothing in the fish world engages the conscience quite like a shark. And it's nice to gloat over an eight-pound bass or our personal best catfish or those mystery fish that got away. But shark anglers exist in a totally different category of fishermen. Because when you get to the point as an angler that you're pursuing something that can and quite frankly has eaten people, you are fishing in unparalleled territories. And while that's probably a sensationalized way of thinking about sharks, the reality is a lot less ominous. But still, there's always those hairs that stand on the back of your neck when a giant chunk of meat is dropped in the ocean and that clicker starts sounding off in the darkness of the night. And there are just few experiences as stimulating as encountering a monster shark with your feet planted in the sand. And my guest today is Blake Avery Brown, and this dude catches some giants. And he's oftentimes doing it completely alone or with his girlfriend or just a small crew. And while some of these experiences come from the thrill of chasing an adrenaline rush, Blake took time during this conversation to push smart shark handling and having a proper game plan that's going to ensure the safety of the fish and the longevity of the sport. And the land-based shark fishing culture is in a really weird conundrum where catches are subject to extreme public scrutiny and a very real possibility of legal ramification. And while it's fun to sit and tell big fish stories, Blake takes time to highlight the best practices that are going to ensure that the sport is done right and has longevity. And I think that that's just the most important tone of the conversation with regards to land-based shark fishing. And I think Blake does a really good job of telling it right. This is Blake Avery Brown, Georgia land-based shark fisherman. All right. I think we're, we're all set up. So Blake Brown, uh, Good to good to meet you, uh, sort of in person. Actually, be talking yeah. to you, <laughs> man. I, I was looking through your pictures, and it was like freaking me the hell out. Like the sharks that you're pulling, and oh man, I don't even know where to begin with it because you know a lot of times I'm sure you've got a crew. You know what I mean? I, I know a lot of these uh, land-based shark guys have like you know kind of like a crew. It's like a team effort because it gets to a point when you start ha- harnessing yourself and strapping yourself into this gear, you you got the real possibility of getting dragged in, but yeah, seen a few pictures where your where your partner is is presumably your girlfriend. Like, what's up? What's going on there? <laughs> um. So, uh, actually, she met me through shark fishing. She uh she <laughs> lived in town, but so romantic. From, yeah. So moved from <laughs> Kentucky, where she had never seen like saltwater fishing or anything, and so uh, <laughs> us kind of meeting each other was was having to do with a sand tiger that I caught in Georgia, actually. 
which she thought was awesome. And she quickly picked up the hobby as well as I did when I first started. So it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I do have a crew, but uh, in the last year, it's it's mainly been me and her. Well, that's pretty cool. And that's, I would, you know, that's, mm, it's interesting. Like, where, where was she browsing to find shark pictures? <laughs> I make it sound like it's crazy, but believe it or not, my wife, um, it was sort of similar with us. We, we started out doing land-based shark fishing together, uh, fishing for alligator gar. My thing was like, I told her from the get-go, I was like, hey, listen, I'm like the worst. I've not had a lot of relationships because I isolate myself so bad myself so badly with this fishing stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it, 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 you know, I'm cool with hanging out, but just know, like, <laughs> if you want to join me, it, it sucks. Like, it is not it's not yeah. always fun. It, it's you're gonna be covered in blood and and nasty shit. Like nuts. But um, but she's been a beast about it. She was a beast about it. And um, so we'd go shark fishing. And ironically, her maiden name is Sharky. So wow. she's she's been good. She's she she'll paddle the baits out. She does it all. So she'll 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 jump in there and lead her the fish and, and slap the tail rope on. But um, it's been a while since we've been able to do it together. It's just life has gotten busy. But but that's yeah. pretty awesome. But yeah, dude. Um, man, I don't know where to begin. Like y'all shark guys are always an interesting one to me because it's like. You know, you never just, that's never anybody's starting point. So I guess just walk me through, like, how did you end up finding your, like, and first and foremost, where are you located? And how did you find yourself, like, getting into this whole land-based shark scene? Okay, so um, for location, I'll just say Jekyll Island because uh, I guess. Don't give any, we, uh, don't give any spot burns here. But No, no, like, I'm not, I'm not I, won't, I, won't, I won't give any spot burns, but I guess you could just say I'm a local of Jekyll Island. That's primarily where I would fish. Where is that? Um, is that it's Georgia, right? It's yeah, it's it's uh the most public barrier island in Georgia, a southern barrier island. Cumberland would be the most southern, but it's a private owned island, so you can't actually get to it without a ferry. So Jekyll would be the furthest south in the state of Georgia. Okay. Um, but I guess the how I really got into it would be my older brothers, they would always, you know, like just that's that was their their way of having fun when we were like younger and and they were fairly older than i was you know four or five years Mm. and um so i went out there one day with a little six thousand spinning reel and casted a chunk of mullet and i hooked a tarpon which was i mean i want to say it was over 100 pounds but it was so long ago i can't really remember but that day i was hooked to it and I, i kept going back to that same spot fishing the same area and just learning over time how to change how I fish and when I fish. Yeah. I feel like that's an easy introductory or like if you want to like have a surefire way to get a kid into fishing or interested, go down to the beach and throw a chunk of meat out there. Cause it's like they can play in the sand and build sand castles. Like, you know, while waiting, they don't, you're not going to yeah. get a, a kid's not going to get bored at the beach. No, Whether, you know, dig a damn hole to China for all I care. But it's like, yeah. uh, but then the opportunity of what might be caught is like probably a little more fascinating than bluegill at the nearby pond with some <laughs> worms. So yeah. I can kind of relate. Um, we grew up for at least part of my life in South Carolina. It was the same way. And, and my dad, like he was big and it was just, you know, surf cast and spin gear and throw a chunk of mullet out there and like, hell, anything can happen. A big stingray. Like I thought that was fun, but, um, yeah, you said you got, so you got older brothers. How many, how many brothers you got? Are you the youngest? Uh, well, yeah, I am. No, I have a younger stepbrother, but my, yeah. 
my uh, oldest brother is about three years older than I am. So I'm 26. He is 29, soon to be 30. Okay. And then my older stepbrother is 28. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, see, I, I can kind of relate. I'm, my, I'm the youngest of three brothers. And they're, it's like my older brother is about almost three years older than me. And then my oldest brother is three years older than him. But so it's sort of the same thing. There was like a good structure in place for mentorship. I mean, sometimes yeah. it also meant getting your ass kicked. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like the low guy on the totem, but uh, that's cool. Well, man, like if you're one of your first fish you hooked was a freaking tarpon, I guess uh, on a six thousand size reel. I guess that's a good. Uh, that's a good way to be like, oh my gosh, I've got to come back here every day and do the exact kind of fishing with the exact bait in this exact spot for the rest of my life. Right. Right. But, um, but at some point, so at some point, you ended up, I guess, encountering sharks. I mean, um, when, when so did that we part were... start? We were actually going for sharks this night, uh, and we we lost the tarpon. And later that night, I did catch my first shark on that same reel. Um, it was I don't know four or five foot sandbar shark, mm. and uh, and it was just so awesome. And and I just I had to keep doing it, man. I was hooked. Even that, like I don't know. I mean, I'm not the most well versed shark guy. Certainly not compared yeah. to what I've seen out of yours. But I I've got enough experience with with some of the sandbar sharks like a six thousand size reel even with a four or five foot sandbar shark that that's tough like those bastards yeah. fight good i guess compared to like you know i don't know i've caught lemon sharks bull sharks and i think that's pretty much the extent of mine bull sharks lemon sharks black tips and then like little like the smaller like like uh sharp nose sharks and mm little the little small ones but i always thought the sandbars were one of the better fighters so they definitely are one, one of the, for their pound their pound in class that they, they fight harder than just about any other shark of their size yeah well that's cool so then you like what is it you so you catch that and then is it like a, an automatic reaction for you to think okay well what's the next you know how do i what's the next size up how do we keep running with this thing well um actually i didn't I wasn't like, I mean, I was hooked, but I didn't have the means to travel by myself. And so it kind of just became like a, when my brothers would go, I would go. Yeah. And sometimes they wouldn't bring me along. So that was a good period of time from that one trip to when I got my driver's license. And I had my buddy uh, from school that I'd known for a long time who I had found out shark fished on Jekyll Island, which I didn't know that before then. And mm -hmm. then me and him started going and I was like, yo, I know this spot that I went to. Like we should go try it out, and it just kind of it, it it really took off from there. I think that yeah. was 2015 or 2016. That's always an interesting one to me. Like that group of fishermen, it's like there's got to be some level of mentorship because like especially when you make the leap from like surf casting with spin gear to the point that you start upgrading the hardware and throwing out like bigger conventional <laughs> gears, and you got to start harnessing into the rods or kayaking baits out like. I feel like that's a hard one to just jump into without somebody else there that's like already in the scene that brings you in. Like, did you have a guy like that, or or was it all just like oh. look it up and try to do it yourself? Like, what was the learning well, process building there? Not necessarily. Um, I mean, when I first really started going with my friend, you know, after the the years passed of my brothers, he had a fairly a good bit more knowledge than I did in shark fishing, and so I learned a lot about making rigs. And like the bait usage, how to hook your bait and stuff like that from him. But um it was it was it was kind of a learning experience for both of us because when I first started fishing with him, it was 
straight mono, 200 pound mono, like a, a cheap mm -hmm. mustad, I think a 13 -0 hook. And we were frequently hooking fish on cast outs that we could not catch. Yeah. <laughs> it, we, we were just getting our asses handed to us. We, we couldn't handle it. Yeah. That, that, so it was pretty much an upgrade your gear, like, because yeah. you just, it's like failing until you get it right. right? Yeah, big, but, big uh, time. Yeah. Cause that was like a world that I kind of always was interested in, but it was like, man, at some point you almost can't do it by yourself. Like you have to have the partner, but I also know it's like right. a lot of the guys aren't that willing to open up to you. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. He's like a lot of skeptical folks in that, in that world. But um, but that's an interesting one. Like the the bait thing too. It's like even just getting the adequate size bait. I mean, were you are are you one of the guys that was walking piers and bumming bait off of people, or were you go out and get like harvesting your own bait? Like, how do you how do you even begin getting the bait you need? Or are you just like gig and raise or what? Yeah, well, it's it's gonna sound silly. Um, I'm actually really close friends with the guys that own a store in town called City Market. Okay. And I would I would go to them at the end of the day and I would take all of their uh fish fillet that was left over or carcass. Mm -hmm. So like riding heads, mullet heads, snapper heads and stuff like that. And um and I guess just it it led to catching like fish in the surf, such as like stingrays and redfish and trout, and and using that for bait to find out like this is what is prey. You know, it's, the predators go for these fish that we're catching on these baits that we get from the market and uh and we just kind of learned from there you know like you learn from your surroundings and so yeah. what we're catching on the rods is what we ended up using for bait and and yeah yeah that's what i've kind of figured out in, in some of the shark stuff i've done myself or or even like playing with the goliath grouper it's like damn i gotta get bait if i want to do this and it's like yeah. you get real good at bumming bait off of obscure places like lo I, i've done the same thing local fish markets some of those guys are perfectly happy to give you the heads and the scraps for free because they're just going to throw them out or the stuff yeah. that's about to expire, like expire per, I don't know, like USDA regulatory ex expiration, but it's like a shark will be perfectly happy to eat that thing you're about to throw out. Or, um, um, I, I've, I wouldn't, I've seen even like Craigslist ads by people like, like the wanted ads. <laughs> I saw a wanted ad one time by a guy looking to bum bait off of people. But um, that's funny. So, are you, do you got like a freezer in the garage where you're keeping all this stuff? You got to have it your own um, designated bait freezer. I actually have three now. <laughs> um, Better than me because I pissed my wife off and I like I'm mixing bait in with food. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't think my girlfriend would be happy if I did that. And then some of mine's been in there for like a year and a half. I'm like, I don't know if I can use this anymore. <laughs> yeah, but that's funny. But, um. So the thing that drew that like kind of like made me, I don't know, the thing about your page that took me back is, you know, when I when I saw your stuff on on Facebook and, and then Instagram, I was like, my God, I hear some big tiger sharks and things like that. But it's it, the crazy thing for me is the photos where you're holding spin gear. Now, are you like, did you get to a point where? Well, I mean, what is the story with that? Like, are you are are you intentionally catching them with spin gear as like a challenge, or are these just like crazy accidents where everything worked out for you? Because, dude, I'm telling you, like, like just actually, this past Saturday, I went fishing with a guy. We were well, we were throwing plugs, we were throwing poppers off of the jetties uh, in Palm Beach because I wanted to catch these big jacks. And yeah. uh, but this time of year, all the black tips are migrating through. So I kind of mm -hmm. wanted to do that too. I wanted to catch. I never caught a black tip or any shark on an artificial lure, 
and uh, didn't get any jacks, but I did get my first black tip on a popper. But I was just like, my God, these things are such a pain in the ass on spin gear. Just a black tip. So then when I look at your picture, I don't know what size reel that is or what the gear like capabilities are, but what is the biggest shark you've caught on spin gear? Because that one tiger, I was like, oh my God, how the hell did he pull that off? Um, That tiger shark is the biggest. That was uh, 11 foot three or 11 foot four, just right around that mark. Um, But uh, I mean, just we we called it 11 plus just, you know, because we, we didn't really take too much time to straighten the fish out or anything. Yeah. We were just trying to work fast. Um, we've actually hooked several fish that I believe would be up to par with that fish or maybe even larger. Um, like, like I said, starting out with a, a fierce 6,000, like the original fierce and a, a 10 foot pin rod, uh, losing fish, whether getting spooled or busting off or not long enough leader or not using cable. We just slowly adapted to the, the next fish we lost. So if we lost mm-hmm. this fish, we figured out why. And we, we upgraded to prevent that from happening more. Um, and I think what really what really drew the line with that fish is we hooked, uh, I think I believe, three fish within a week that would pretty much take like more than 200 yards of line off of a spinning reel. And we were using tight drag. And yeah. we were thinking that the, the bust offs were us using too much pressure. So we upgraded to like hollow core braids, like 80s and 100s. Um, to find out we're still getting popped off by fish. So after speaking to some people and even Spencer Wonder, the guy you hosted, has given me a lot of knowledge in this. Yeah. Um, it, sharks' tails are really, really strong and sharp with the skin. So they're they were just longer than the nine foot leaders that we were used to throwing. So uh, a top shot prevented. Is, yeah. Is pretty much the reason we caught that fish. Uh, I'd put about ten foot of a hundred pound mono. And uh, and it, it changed a lot for us as far as like how big a fish we can catch. Yeah, because that's the, I feel like that's the challenge, at least that I've run into when I've done spin gear. I'll do a little bit of that every year on on where I'm at on in Southwest Florida. We have like somewhat of a migration of the sandbar sharks that comes through. So like a it's like a lesser known shark migration that you know it's right. it's a lot of fun. It's always in the winter time we get them and they come through in these big waves. But I I like playing with them with the spin gear. Um. I always fish like the north side of Sanibel, which I can't do it this year because the hurricane destroyed it. Because you don't have to cast yeah. too far out and you're in pretty deep water. So it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's perfect for spin gear because you don't have to get the baits way out there. But um, yeah, you're right. It's like it's like your leader material has to be long enough. So it's like, how are you getting that much mono into the like through the guides and everything? I mean, what kind of knots are you running? Like, uh, are you, so like, I. I would tie an FG knot uh, mm-hmm. from my braid to my mono. And being that I use a 12-foot surf rod, St. Croix uh, specifically is um, what I run on all my all my spinning gears. Uh, about 10 foot of mono, and it, it does make a little bit of a noise when you cast it, but Georgia yeah. has a pretty unique fishery. So the channels, um, like you said, we can cast pretty pretty deep uh, with, with a simple lob. But I, I, I think that... Um, I think that the depth here doesn't really make much of a difference as it would say in Florida, because you'd powder your bait out to 15, 20 foot of water. But here, I think that the fish are more or less coming into the tide pools to feed on bait. So um, that, that, that tiger shark ate at a, a flood tide, a full moon. And so the water that I think the bait was sitting in was less than five foot deep. And what did it eat? Because I guess that's the other side. Like when I see a shark that big closing in on 12 feet, 
on spin gear. I'm like, well, what the hell did you cast out there? Like, did he take a small bait or did you cast a giant bait? Or are you one of them guys that paddles out with spin gear? Oh, no, no. I, I actually, <laughs> we can hop into that after this. I, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge fan of people who kayak spinning reels. Um, yeah. <laughs> We uh we have we have a lot of bull bull redfish here and also slots, and so what I did was just take like the head and and remnants of a fillet, and I casted it out. Well, um, it was towards the end of the year, November, so we're like scarce on bait, and so what I did was is I froze the fish after using it, and then unthawed it and froze it again and unthawed it again, yeah. and it worked the third time, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> What what's funny about that is you you're cutting the head off of a fish that like a lot of people hold up on this pedestal. It's like this <laughs> yeah. great sport fish. Chop well, its it, head it was off. a slot. It, it yeah. was a slot fish, but it was it was upper slot. It had had a fairly fairly good size head on it. Yeah. That's one of the things I never even know the I don't even know the legality of that in like where I'm at. If I, I if I caught a slot redfish, I would assume I'm not even allowed to do that. Oh but, wow. Uh, I probably sent things out that I, I don't know if I was supposed to either, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody other sharks, done, uh, a fair bit of wrong. I know I've used uh sheep's head in the past and people are like, what the hell are you doing? Sending out dinner, like a good eating fish for bait. I'm like, I've, I've had great luck using sheep's head, a shark bait for some reason. I've but, heard um, it's good. Yeah, I did. It was one, one night I would like run low on bait. So I just started throwing a cast net and I started catching these, I mean, monster sheep's head right off. The, I was cast oh netting out of the surf. I was like, oh, hell yeah. And people are like, why are you wasting a good sheep's head for shark bait? I ain't got nothing else, but. Yeah, right. But yeah, that's freaking nuts. So this like, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, are you just like gambling on the direction that this thing is running? I mean, I, how do you torque down enough to, to contain a shark? Like, are you having to like, because I wouldn't think you'd have the like torque to bring it in fast, but I know that like also like kind of the name of the game with those bigger sharks is to, is to be working fast and, and to like yeah. minimize the amount of time. I mean, do you, have you run into any kind of criticism? It seems like the shark community likes to criticize every little, I, I'm even too scared. I told Spencer the same thing. I'm like, dude, I won't even go into those full like, message boards with my Rudy Pooh ass rigs to get like <laughs> criticized. But I would think like, you have have you run into like any kind of hate on people like what are you doing fucking around with a big shark with a spin gear like um prolonging the fight or any of that yeah uh definitely my fair fair share of of hate from other anglers um it's it's mainly people from florida who experience a different set of regulations and fishery as us um we have our channels aren't very wide specifically where i'm fishing at we have about I think it's 1,600 yards wide in the channel, which seems like a lot, but the yeah. deepest point of that is is about 300 yards out. So a fish might look like it's about to spool you, and you could have a lot of drag on it, but when it gets to that deep part in the current, the fish struggles to fight anymore. So it's it's more yeah. more of a it gets out there, and then it's just back and forth, slowly working its way back in. And are you like, uh, I mean, I don't know, on a typical day of shark fishing i don't know if it's different on spin gear or paddling out but i mean are you are you hoping for certain tides or are there like certain conditions you look for like or is it just like we're going on whatever day i'm available and we'll stick <laughs> it out there and sit on the chunk for 12 hours and we'll work all the tides yeah well um i mean there's obviously the moments where we have nothing else to do so we just fish randomly but 
There is a set schedule. Um, so our beaches are relatively flat, and I mean like two to three foot for two hundred yards or so. And so you kind of have to to figure out your beaches, the tide pools. Um, if it's a high tide, you want to fish somewhere where you know the water is going to be moving less than like if you, if you go fish a spot and the water is going to come up from a hundred yards out, you don't want to fish there for an incoming, you know. Yeah. So uh, you you got to know your beaches and know your environment to to really catch the fish with a schedule here. But you can always catch them randomly, for sure. Yeah, it's funny you describe that. Like I remember the beaches maybe sim more similar in like where I fished a lot coming up was in South Carolina around Charleston. I know yep. a lot of our beaches were like that. It was like it's nothing like like what we see here on the, like the Gulf Coast. Like the, the beaches look completely different. And like I remember around like Sullivan's Island and that kind of area, it was like. You know, you could step on the sand, and you still got to walk three hundred yards across sand before you get to the water, and like yeah. low tides. Like, good God, the beaches are so big and vast. So it was, it was totally different. It was the same thing too. There was like tide pools. Um, yeah. So like we only, I mean, we would fish only like the like uh, incoming tides for whatever reason seemed to work best. But I'm just not well versed enough to know how that affects much. But uh. You know, I am, I am always interested, though, in, like, people's rigging and stuff. Like, people that are listening whose experience is not in shark fishing. Like, like run me through, like, I don't know. From, I would say from spool, like, from backing all the way to the hook, what, like, yeah. like what the progression of your leader looks like. Because I know you got, like, backing, and then you got top shot, and then you got leader. And then, and then like, why each thing is critical. Uh, one, I'd, I'd say one, this, is, this is more related to, like, a big conventional reel. This is actually uh, a Slammer 8500DX. Okay. And and so I have 80 pound diamond hollow like from the from the arbor completely filled. And I don't know if you can see this still. Hold on. So this right here would be my 130 pound mono. Okay. And for about I'd say 10 foot of mono just just for that tail whip, I have an FG knot. Yep. And uh, from from my leader, I would just simply swivel a 400-pound mono to a snap swivel. And it's it's really important to use a fixed sinker in Georgia because the currents are, are very strong here. Like, it's like Sebastian Inlet-type strong. Yeah. And so if you have a, a, a moving uh, sinker, then your bait is going to be all over the place in the water. You mean like a slide, like on a slider or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah like a okay. sliding snap swivel. What kind of like uh, I mean, what a uh, lead are you throwing? Like pyramid sinkers and the little grappling hook style ones, or yeah. Um. So we we do use the pyramids. Um. I've tried the legs here, but every time I do, they pick up a tree branch or something. Oh, uh, okay. And you just you can't you hardly even reel them in when you use them. And you might have said it, and I just like, zoned out. Are you using wire, or is it just a straight mono leader? Um. It's about seven foot of mono to about three foot of cable which i use 2.2 okay. millimeter for mono and cable just it, it makes it easier to buy sleeves for my rigs and is that like coated is that coated cable or just like bare cable yes, yes sir it's coated. and what's the benefit of that like i mean because i know some people use like like hard wire with like a uh what do you call it a haywire twist or whatever yeah yeah i've, I've used wire um and it's kind of comes down to like a personal kind of a uh, preference, I guess. Um, I actually stuck a piece of rebar into the dirt one day and I made a rig with 
uh, a piece of wire just going around the, the eye of my hook. And I would kind of run my line around the rebar and grab the mainline portion and snatch it around the rebar as if you're setting the hook. And I found that the cable being like fixed or some people would call it a snell around the, the, the shank of the hook mm-hmm. would catch that rebar way more than the wire in a swinging circle hook would. And so um, a lot of people prefer wire with a, a hook that does swing, but uh, not me. I, I like mine in line. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it's always fun to hear like the different ways people do it and like their ideas on it. And um, and even like I said this past weekend, um, the guy I was fishing with, you know, at one point we started throwing chunks for the black tips just because, you know, hell, we were just screwing around. Yeah. And uh, and I, I had hard wire on mine and then he had just a straight mono like he had just straight mono leader. Oh, wow. And, he, and his uh, his baits kept getting picked up. Mine weren't. We're fishing right beside each other. I'm like, well, yeah. because he he was like adamant. It was like the black tips here will not pick up wire. I'm like, what the hell? Like, are they really that? Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of interesting. There's something to it. But I just don't have it. Like, I don't have the guts to run straight mono leader on a shark. I just I feel yeah. like it. Oh, me, me. I was like, there's no way. He's like, you got to coat it with something. Well, you also have a lot of clarity down there. And in Georgia, our water is like South Carolina. It looks kind of yeah. like Yoohoo, like a chocolate milk. Right. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because where we were fishing was very clear water, like where we were at in Palm Beach, especially that night. It was like really clear. So, yeah, yeah you're probably right. But, you know, I'm still one of the and I, I'm still in that novice mindset that like the bloodthirsty sharks, like if they smell blood, they're going to eat. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. How you, it's funny how you start to learn. Like, I don't know, you'd like dispel those myths. But, um, you know, and I always wonder too. Like, I noticed some of your pictures, a lot more of your pictures than maybe some people's. Like, you're out there in the daytime. You don't have you had like any issues or encounters with beachgoers? Uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes they don't like to see mm-hmm. that come up on the sand. But yeah, that's there's a uh, we have piers on St. Simons and Jekyll Island, which are heavily uh, crowded, and we do have a big community of shark fishermen that like to net their sandbars and lemons um, onto the piers. And so if you are one of those guys, then you're definitely going to be receiving a lot of hate. But mm-hmm. the glorious thing about Jekyll is that it's it's a pay to entrance, um, mostly like elderly people, uh, retirement homes and and a lot of uh, a lot of tourist attraction versus like Airbnbs and, and houses and residential areas like St. Simon. So we don't get a lot of a lot of people where we fish at all. Yeah, that's funny. He mentioned the people who pull them up on piers. Like, hell, it's better, I guess, a drop. Are you talking about they put a drop net down for them? Yeah. I guess yeah. it's better than you see the images where people are just straight up, like, cranking. <laughs> the the, they're literally, literally dangling from yeah. there. And then they and then they have the audacity to release them from 40 yeah. feet in the air. So. <laughs> right. It's a belly Man. flop into the water. That doesn't help, but... Um, nope. Good grief. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So... Man, yeah, the spinning gear one for the tigers. That was, and then you got the sand tiger sharks too, which is different. Um, I've never caught. Now those are always a cool looking one. Um, it was yeah. that also? I saw your photo where you're catching this on spin gear, the sand tigers. Uh, you know what's the difference there? I, I've heard like you know maybe that's a little probably maybe easier. I don't know if I've heard yeah. much about how, the way they fight. I mean, was that it, Georgia it, as well? Yeah, that was all. That was at the same spot I caught that tiger shark. Um, it's that that spot is definitely my favorite. Um, that actually is kind of off track, but that fish ate at the same tide and moon phase 
that the tiger shark did. It was mm-hmm. just a different time of year and different climate of water, a different kind of bait. Um, but it was the same tide, same moon, same kind of ordeal. Uh, the fish kind of nibbled for nearly 30 minutes, I want to say. And um, I finally just went down and snatched. Uh, I got really lucky because the hook went like the cable was around one of its folded back teeth. Like their teeth kind of lay down in their mouth. Yeah. And and then the hook went back around the cable. So it was just lassoed around a single tooth. Oh, and my the gosh. Hook, it wasn't hooked at all. But the <laughs> handle, the handle on my reel snapped off during the fight. And so I was using my palm like this. It was only about five or ten minutes. But I was about to say, that's was, a pain. It was stressful. Yeah, because I know they got one of the gnarliest looking mouths out of all of them. They're always the ones that are like in all the aquariums. I guess they must oh, do, yeah. do better in aquariums. But uh, are they, is that a protected? Is that another one of the protected species too? Um, no? Yeah, they're federally protected, so you can't yeah. you can't actually harvest them or uh, procrastinate with a release right. on them. Because I think that's that's another interesting part of the topic. Because you know, I know that like. That's a big thing with the shark guys. Like, if you want to ruin your your sport, you know, you'll end up being the guy that's responsible yeah. for wash ups. So it's like it's always yeah. like real critical to get in and get out and like get the process done. So, you know, sort of I guess explain to me like your process for a release because it's like I know at the same time you got to preserve your own safety, but you're also trying to move right. quickly. Like, what kind of gear like or like tools or like the the tools of the trade for a quick release and and like just the process of bringing in a fish working quickly and getting them out do you have like a system in place um so i mean i do have pliers uh bolt cutters and stuff like that but i guess you could call me more of a realist where i believe if if you're not you know getting your hands dirty and really putting yourself at risk mm-hmm. with nature then you're not doing it the right way and, and that's just my opinion everybody thinks differently but um let's just uh I would I would go for my hand before any tool and and I feel like that's worked better for me than anything else um and if I get bit you know I just it's a learning experience you know I got to be faster yeah. next time <laughs> Yeah those videos always like spook me out I mean I've done the same thing with the sharks where you're like right up in there and but but some of them guys are yes. good at about grabbing that hook and popping it free yeah. are you using barbless hooks or are you you pretty much um, able to kind of get it out of there well, yeah, majority, like if it's a catch-all brand hook, I'll take the barb off because they're mm-hmm. pretty like, they are protrude pretty far. But um, yeah. a BKK circle hook is what I recently moved into, and the barb is very, very thin, and I haven't had any problems pulling it out through the barb or, or setting hooks on fish. So it's yeah. it's been going well. That's cool. So are you, um, are you getting like, pretty much into the water with the fish or like at what point do you feel comfortable to like where you're not so deep that you're putting yourself in a crappy situation but you're not pulling them so far onto the sand that it could be detrimental to the fish it's like that's always the part for me it's like you gotta like find that yeah happy medium that would that would i guess that's where the tide pools of georgia come into play um Mm. majority of the fish that we do catch we do get into a tide pool where even if they can slip out of your hands or grip or whatever they can't really leave where you're at so you have full control and the fish does stay in relatively at least like a foot or two foot of water at all times but um if it's a small fish like a little black tip or a sandbar you can't really see them in in the water because it's so dirty so oftentimes we do drag them like into the surf where we can actually work with the fish yeah um not 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 majority of the time though 
I get a little more bothered by how crazy the black tips can be anyway. I, I'm almost be more yeah. nervous around the small ones than, well, I've never caught a big shark. The biggest is like, I don't know, an eight foot lemon shark, which they're yeah. pretty easy to contend with anyway. Yeah. They seem like a pretty docile fish, but like mm, black tips. It's kind of funny. Like <laughs> you talk about fish handling, man, dude, it was this guy, uh, David Rocca, if he's listening, shout out to him. But I was fishing with him. So I, dude, I caught the thing on a popper. Well, we were using treble hooks. So, God, you talk about hell getting the hooks out of this oh, thing's man. face. So, we got two treble hooks, big treble hooks, and we're on a jetty, and we landed it on the jetty. And then like, we're like eight feet up. So, I'd like rappel down into these rocks with a squirrely black tip that's slinging treble hooks everywhere. <laughs> So you're right. It's not for the faint of heart. Like if you're afraid to go hands on with something, it's just not the game to be involved right. in. But I, I grabbed the damn thing by the head, pushed it against the rocks. It was like in between my legs, you know, kind of a, a delicate a situation <laughs> between my legs. I was like holding them against the rocks and trying to get that out. But yeah. um, not against the rocks, but like, you know, we were, we, yeah. I mean, yeah. the fish, you got to have some pressure on the fish. Yeah. The fish, the fish made off just fine for anybody yeah. listening, but it's like, wouldn't, recommend i don't know if i went and specifically tried to catch those black tips it wouldn't be with no treble hooks that was awful yeah right but, um but yeah that's that's cool i can i can relate to that with um you know the way and it's the same thing like what we do with the goliaths like you know you can't bring them onto the beach like you can't bring them up onto the sand you got to stay in the water but they don't say how much water yeah, but I know I had a time where I was doing it solo one night, and I was in too—I was in too deep of water. I was in like you know, thigh deep water, and, and this thing managed to flip over like right, right side up, and it got moving, and the and the leader had found its way like around my leg. Mm. The damn thing starts swimming and like pulling me. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> so it's you got to be smart with yourself as much as trying to you know help the fish out, but uh, yeah, so. Well, now, like, so we're talking about the spinning gear, and that's, like, your rig for that. But, like, how about, like, your, your conventional gear? Is it kind of, like, is your, you know, from spool to hook set up pretty much the same, just on a bigger scale or what? Uh, Yeah, it's, um, I run an Avit 130, mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd use about a 30-foot rig, um, and mainly, uh, the because I would use such a long rig is because I was in a tournament a few years ago, which wouldn't allow the help of somebody that wasn't on your team. And being that I'm from Georgia, I can't often fish with people who were on my team. So I was making long rigs, and when the fish would approach to where I can grab my leader, I'd drop my reel out of gear, and I would grab the leader and work with it by myself. Yeah. Um, But yeah, pretty much it's just braid, uh, 200 pound to the end of the spool and then about 100 to 150 yards of either 180 or 250 mono i guess it just depends how thick the black tips are down in florida that weekend right yeah were you um so you're kind of doing that by yourself are you paddling your baits out all all by yourself and just kind of leaving your gear on the beach behind you or um well, sometimes I would even have to get a bystander and like run them down yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on how to use the uh the reel but majority of the time I did have somebody with me that, that knew what they were doing. It's just, you always got to be prepared for whatever, you know? So if I was going to be by myself on the beach, cause the guys in Florida, they would, they, they would go to their houses at the end of the night, but I would sleep on the beach by myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of why I kept myself prepared 
to to deal with whatever I needed to. Um, luckily, I didn't ever have to catch a giant hammerhead by myself, but I did yeah. deal with some pretty nice fish uh, up to ten, maybe eleven foot by myself. Oh wow! So you probably get pretty good at getting them out of there quick by yourself. Uh, yeah, that's always my fear. Like if I go out and do this stuff by myself, whether it's the sharks or the glides, I'm always like, I'm paddling out in the darkness. I'm like, man, my $1,500 setup better still be on the beach when I get back. You know, I was like, I get worried. There's going to be like, I don't know, some kind of knot in the reel. That's going to tip me over. I've oh, only man. had it happen. I've only had it happen once where something went awry while I was paddling out and I, I was paddling and realizing I wasn't going. I was like, okay, well shit. Like I know what happened, but. Maybe with the Goliath, it's a little bit more of a risk because, like, if they grab your bait on the paddle in, you you just lost everything because they're right there in the yeah. they're they're right there in the snags. Uh, I had a guy run over my line. I had a boater come by and pick my line up when I was paddling out one time. That that sucked. Mm. So, I don't know if you've had any any yeah. hor- any horror stories on paddle outs. Yep. Um. Actually, it was on St. Simon's. Um. It was at nighttime, and I was maybe getting 200 yards out where a guy came cutting through uh, right near the beach, and I went from paddling my bait to pretty much uh, converted to riding skis behind this boat, except I was sitting in a kayak. Oh, hell and, uh, no. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, he actually drugged me. I let go of my paddle because I had to use two hands to pull slack in my line and get my hook out from the handle of my kayak. So mm-hmm. I did that, and my bait just goes flying with the boat, and I flipped out of the kayak, and I, I couldn't make it to my paddle, and so I just had to, like, use my hands to make it back <laughs> to the beach. And my buddies and my brother were on the beach as well, and they they had no idea what was going on. Damn. Yeah, see, I so had you gotta, a... you got to be sad. I didn't have a life jacket, and ever since then, I will always yeah. wear a life jacket. Yeah, I I do the life jacket thing, no doubt. I've fallen yep. out only once. Now, it wasn't even during a paddle out. I was like during the most boneheaded thing ever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when it when when it happened with me, I saw the boat coming, and like I was paddling towards a bridge because I was gonna do I was gonna drop for Goliaths, and and the actual you know the 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 pass through point on the bridge is ahead of me. But I see this boat turn like you know he went he was gonna cut in behind me. So it's like oh hmm. shit. So I had time to I I just threw the I just threw the rig over and hoped that it was gonna get down, but you know, I threw it over and then he ran through and then on my paddle back in I heard my drag screaming. I was like, no, <laughs> but yeah, he got you. But uh, he 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 went through the bridge, so once it got to the braid, it pretty much just broke it off. But poor guy yeah. probably had two hundred yards of two hundred pound mono and a thousand pound leader in his prop. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a lot. I mean, there's no way that prop didn't get destroyed by that rig. Yeah, but um, that was a rebuild. And then I had uh, the only time I fallen out was I had I had hooked up with a shark. This was in the Panhandle somewhere in Florida. Um, and it it got me around some kind of underwater structure out in the beach. I'm like, what the hell did it get under? Yeah, it was like it was snagged. So I'm fighting this fish, and then all of a sudden I could feel that it's stuck on something. And then all of a sudden, I just feel just, you know, it's gone, but my rig is stuck. So then I just hopped in the kayak and reeled myself out to this, whatever it was. And got I got over the top of it and started pulling, and then it broke free so abruptly that I, I rolled over. I'm sitting here like, wow. I'm a horrible swimmer, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
And I didn't have a life jacket on when that happened to me. I, I started wearing it after that. And I'm sitting here swimming yep. with my rig and my my my, my uh, rod and reel and trying to hop onto this damn kayak. And then I'm scared there's a shark down there somewhere. But, yeah, I always always wear mine now. I get too scared. I'm too much you know what they say? You, uh, you, you learn the most from your screw-ups. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, the place that scared me was down in South. I was living in Corpus Christi for a while. Jesus, you talk about some horrifying surf down there uh, in that area. I only did that a couple of times. I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this solo. It was too scary. That is some <laughs> scary. I'm like, I'm scared of the surf. And that place was brutal. Um, so, and then I seen in your one picture the photo of the big sawfish. Now, was that Florida or were you getting that in Georgia? I didn't. I've never yeah. seen them up up there. That was a uh, that was down in Florida. Okay. Um, it was a summer month, actually, which was kind of surprising. And we were not fishing intercoastal. That was a shoreline. Mm -hmm. So that was that was spooked. Um, FWC was on the beach for that fish. Oh, that's so, interesting. Like standing beside you? Yeah, they, they had their phone out recording the entire process. That's actually where most of the pictures came from was, was that. That's and funny. Uh, <laughs> I had a rope in my hand for like the first half of a GoPro video where and I saw the two dorsals and I was thinking this was during the tournament, by the way. So we were going to tape measure the fish and get a good picture for the tournament. Yeah. And I see the two fins thinking it's a lemon shark. Yeah. Big lemon. But yep. and, and then I saw the, the saw come out like facing me. And so I immediately threw the rope onto the beach and, uh, and got my bolt cutters out. Yeah. Cause I know they get weird. It's like, you're fine until you put like a rope on its tail now you're in possession of the fish yeah um so that's kind of a weird one well that yeah. sucks because that's sort of like one of those like guilty uh i don't know what you want to call it one of those fish everybody wants to catch but you know you know you right. can't catch yeah. but, uh, well i tell i tell everybody that when they say they want to catch one i just tell them like no you don't like you just right you don't want to do it it's it's a stress to deal with um yeah. the leader's you know wrapping its bill Yep. Uh, it's just it's a stress because that was the other thing. It's like good. I mean, all the photos I've seen the ones people catch, it's always wrapped up in that build. How the hell did you get in there? Yeah, so, a ro rostrum type deal. Yeah, the rostrum, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah, another same, one where I'd be thing. more. It's another one where I'd be more worried about the small ones than the big ones. But um, right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure FWC was paying close, keen attention. I'd have been yeah. telling them, coach me through exactly what you want right now. <laughs> like how do you well, want to do this i didn't know he was fwc until afterwards he came up to me and and uh airdropped me the whole video he took and he thanked me for dealing with the fish properly yeah um, i got his information and he called me a few days later to follow up with like what bait i was using how long we were on the beach sure and uh just just you know a questionnaire just just you know was he, he law enforcement or was he just like one of the fisheries scientists conservation-y type of people with a clipboard I actually don't know. He didn't have a clipboard or anything. Uh, he wasn't in uniform, but he was on the beach recording us. And uh, and and later on, I did get a call from him with the Florida Wildlife Commissions. So I'm guessing yeah. that he was he was legit. They're probably just more interested in gathering that data. I've never found those guys yeah. to be that difficult to deal with. Um, they they've always been cool. Every time I've come up, you know, mm -hmm. come up on them, so. They seem like they got their stuff pretty squared away. They're they're all pretty good dudes. I I've only had I had one time similar where I, I was catching the sandbar sharks, and it's the same thing. They're they're federally protected, but uh, 
I had two FWC yeah. guys come up on me one night when I was fishing solo for them, and they were taking pictures, and they took my pictures for me. Um, but then they just left. They didn't even ask for my license. They didn't. They asked for nothing. They just went away. Hmm. Like, all right, that was that was interesting. That was all right. <laughs> yeah, I've, but, I've uh, seen a Georgia Georgia DNR is a lot more strict than the Florida Florida commissions are for sure. Yeah, it's probably case by case. I think if you deal, I feel like it's the newer the younger, newer ones that are maybe a little more, I don't know. I get that line of thought. I, I did the law enforcement thing myself for a few years. And it's like, you know, when you're yeah. a rookie, you want to, you want to arrest everything that moves, <laughs> you know, but yeah. maybe it's the same with those guys, but I, I never had issues. I'm always thought they're all pretty good, pretty good guys. Um, yeah. So now I see, you know, I saw that you're, do you have your own guide service or are you working with another yeah. outfit? I mean, tell me a little bit about now that side of it always seems pretty cool to me. Like that when you're taking yeah. other people out, I mean, what's kind of like your shtick? Is it like an educational type experience? I mean, what's your client base like? Um, So uh, actually one of my closest buddies, or I guess the, um, one of my secondhand men out there on the beach, uh, his name is Nico. And he is a, a beach service rental. So he rents out like kayaks and bikes and sets up beach chairs for people on St. Simon's. And one day he just had some family ask him if they could, you know, go fishing with him. So we took him fishing and they gave us a pretty hefty tip at the end of the night. And uh, we, we don't really advertise like full-time charters. I don't have a set price. It's, it's more so... Um, like, you know, if a family wants to go out there real bad while they're in town on vacation, then they're liable to come. And if they feel comfortable tipping us, if we have a good night, they can like, usually if we don't catch a fish, I would take somebody out again without even any kind of charge or anything, because it's more about seeing what kind of fish are in the water here, because yeah. we have a big population of swimmers big there are a lot of people that come here and swim mm -hmm. not knowing that these massive fish are eating casted baits in five foot of water right yeah i feel like i saw that even more i don't know you really only do it at nighttime in florida but like south carolina is the same same sort of thing yeah. i'm just yeah i mean all the beaches are just loaded with people and they have just completely oblivious to what's out yeah. there so that's pretty cool but um but I mean, the kind of people that are coming with you, are they like well-seasoned anglers? Are they just like vacationing and never caught a fish in their life or is it like a little yeah. bit of everything it's, in between? It's usually people with their children who have never seen a fish before. <laughs> and uh, we, we don't really, if like, if it's, if it's a family with children, we don't really go out there to target like giant fish. We'll keep right. our rod, our rod numbers small and our bait smaller type deal. Um, Most of them will be happy catching one of those Southern stingrays or a three foot mm -hmm. black tip, you know? So it's, it's not all about putting everything we can out with the charter. It's more or less just showing them and, and teaching them that there are fish in these waters that, you know, you've never seen before and you would love to see. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a kid's whole day and whole like a year catching a three or four foot yeah. black tip. I mean, the, definitely. I was the same way when I was uh, young and even to a point, I almost liked catching the stingray more than, than anything, which is probably, <laughs> probably people are like, what? But they fight the, pretty hard. The really, really big southern stingray. Well, it's like the fight is a miserable experience, but like it makes for a cool photo, yeah. so it's sort of like worth it yeah. in the end. But um, yeah, that's pretty funny. But um, so I know the big thing with with like the sharks is sort of like 
I think the battle is just like making sure you preserving, like preserving the sport because it's like we're kind of existing a day and age where that pastime's getting like more and more persecuted, and you know a lot of blame is cast upon anglers for like if there's a shark attack in an area, we'll shut down fishing, keep baits out of the water, we're we're attracting fish, and you know you see certain states and or certain like sections of beach that are getting like to where it's it's being outlawed just from your perspective like what what do you think like guys can do to like preserve you know what they're to be more smart with it or or yeah. uh or knock down certain like misconceptions about it i mean what what can people do to try to prevent these shutdowns from happening if right. anything um so uh there there would be two different answers for this but we'll stick with georgia because that's where i have most of my experience at um, the people fishing the the piers, and in the last two years, we've had a population of greater hammerheads come through, mm. which wasn't wasn't known to us for the longest. And uh, a lot of people don't know this about Georgia, but you are allowed to kill hammerheads and tiger sharks in the state. Um, and so they they feel like using the senators, the weak reels, uh, drifting your bait several hundred yards away from the piers and heavy current. And netting these fish or grabbing the leader and bringing them to the rocks um, is okay to do because it's it's legal. But what they don't know is we're we're only a few washups of you know Florida regulated fish dying uh, to to put us in the same position. So right, I think I think the biggest thing is uh, our local fishermen on the piers need to need to not net the fish if it's going to be a fish that is federally protected, like the sandbars. Or, or the hammerheads that are regulated in pretty much every other state or tiger sharks, which they still do to, to this day. They're getting netted and pulled up onto the piers, which uh, is procrastination. It's, it's, it's what they tell you in FWC's permit test is to not procrastinate your mm-hmm. release times. And that's exactly what the piers here are doing is procrastination. So at the point that they get up to the pier, what's the proper like course of action? I don't know if they can really get down to the leader so, necessarily yeah. you walk so if it it's down a, to the beach or yeah it's a it's like a t-shaped pier um you can look on like google images and see and it's probably you got to go around a lot of pylons and like concrete platform so it it's gonna like let's just say you were to hook into even just small 10 foot hammerhead it's gonna take an additional 15 to 20 minutes to get this fish to the rocks which the water doesn't have beach showing at high tide it's it's only rocks and like yeah. a few feet of water and so uh, pretty much the, the first hammerhead that does successfully get brought to those rocks, I believe it will wash up or, or die. And, uh, and, and, and if they, it's small enough to get into the net and they even pull it out of the water for a picture, the, the attraction from the tourist at the pier or just social media in general will be enough to, to pose regulations on the state of Georgia for those fish. Yeah, I know that's especially the danger with social media is like when people yeah. gather. I've had it happen with me with black tips. I think it's like anytime if you're out there in daytime on a beach and you're boat, you got big gear and it's bowed over and you're like you're puffing and puffing and you're clearly fighting something. Yeah. It's like the, the crowds assemble. Mm-hmm. And man, it's just like it's just like anything on the news. Like you can paint a picture and a narrative behind a camera on what's happening and, and make it, it and make it look really really bad if you're not careful with what you're doing. And then people posting it on the news and putting it all over Facebook. So um I know it's gotten to a point like I will I will I really won't even do it 
until after dark for the most usually more so because there's just people too many people in the water but uh um, yeah yeah no it's like it's like one of those things where at the same time it's like i don't know if i don't know if you're doing the sharks any more of a service by just being like only going out in the darkness of the night and not letting the world know what you're doing you know i don't know if that's really any more constructive i think you're stalemating right. things but it's like yeah i don't know it's like it seems like a hard thing to be a to get proper stewardship for to get out there and be actually like educating people. I but. think, uh, I think the, the big uh, crowds of people isn't necessarily a harm to shark fishing. I think it's more so what they see. So yeah. you can have a big crowd, but if the big crowd is all recording videos and you do release the fish properly, keep it in the water and do it fast, then, then it's going to look great on social media views. Otherwise, let's say, um, the crowd sees you dry beach a sandbar where it's bleeding, struggling to get mm -hmm. the hook out type deal. It's it's going to look really, really bad on all of the shark fishing community of Georgia. Right. Yeah, well, I think the same even goes for, for a legal harvest of the sharks. There, there was yeah. one that went pretty viral. I think it was here in Florida. I don't remember where it was. They they were like lawfully and legally harvesting like a black tip, you know. And the dudes are like smashing it on the head with a hammer, uh, laughing about it, acting crazy. I'm like, you idiot! Like, yep, what you're doing is within law. You gotta be smarter and realizing how you might be affecting, I don't know, other people. So it's that's a really good point. I like the way you say that. It's, it's better to not just hide from everybody. It's it's almost better to. I don't know, invite the opportunity to educate the people yeah. or, or, or be a good example of how you're supposed to do it. So, right. yeah, that's a good point. I guess I'm curious too. It's like you do the shark fishing thing and it's like, I don't know. I'm like, do you do any other kind of fishing? Like it maybe during the off seasons or where things are difficult, like you branched out into any other kind of, you got any other thing or is there pretty much uh, your heart's, your heart is tied to these sharks? Um, I mean, I do love sharks. I, I, I do want to catch uh, every species that I possibly can with a cast. Um, yeah. But a tarpon and redfish, black drum, we, we get a big, a big migration of black drum here in about two weeks. And some of them get up to like 60 or 70 pounds. Um, so soon here, I'll be stocking up on buckets of blue crabs and, and getting ready to hit the jetties and, and the pylons. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to, I should have mentioned that. I saw some of your photos of the black drum, big old gargoyle yep. looking fish <laughs> yeah we get some big ones here yeah now are you making your own rigs at this point or or do you got like a resource where you're where you're buying i, I don't imagine maybe you're buying pre-assembled rigs but well I, think, I, I i do make my own yeah um but the supplies that i get would be from adam struckle at apex onshore i feel like i have to give him a shout out um yeah me and me and adam kind of started learning south florida hammerhead fishing together and really came a long way, especially with his tackle company. And so I just, he, he gets like wholesale and I would just get it from him to support his company. And then I'd make my own rigs with his material. Right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how often are you coming down to Florida? Like, I mean, you're in Georgia, but are you traveling like, have you gone above Georgia up north or are you staying um, mostly at home or, or down south? I, I have gone north, um, but it's it's not really it's it's a big learning curve compared to South because I kind of grew up going to Florida and Georgia just for family and, and vacation or whatever. So it was easier to pick up and a lot shorter of a drive. So um, I, I do I have a good bit of knowledge, at least I think 
in Florida for the, the, the migrations and the right time of year to catch a certain species. Like I haven't caught a tarpon yet, although I've missed way more than I can count on my hands. I'm um, in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, I've, only ca- I've only caught the baby ones. The big ones just yeah, whooped my tail. Very uh, tough. I think it was within the first week that I moved to Florida. I moved here from Arkansas. So I was, I mean, I, mean, I grew up around the coast in South Carolina, but I was in Arkansas. Man, I was ready to get out of there. Yeah. Sheesh. So like within the oh. first week of coming here, I, I'd hit the beaches. I think I was I was out there trying to catch snook from the surf, and there's a group yeah. of land-based shark guys, and they caught a big old tarpon right in front of me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this happens wow. all the time. But uh, yeah. hadn't happened for me yet. I've lost a few of them same way. I've lost a few of them in the rivers around here. But And then, like, we went and did the thing in, like, the, in, like Boca Grand Pass. And I don't know, man, that style of fishing just wasn't for me. Like, in the boats in the pass, other boats all around you. I was like, I don't know. Um, Not really for me. It, if you don't mind, I would kind of like to to jump backwards a little bit to uh, the the shark smart um, and then the right gear usage in South Florida as yeah, well. I don't, I'm yeah. not actually a local of South Florida, but I feel like I have enough experience down there to speak on it. Uh, you see a lot in the group chats, people want to use cheap reels such as like pin squalls and senators, especially for, for kayak and baits in Florida. And these guys uh, pretty frequently are new to the game. And they mm-hmm. see like pictures of big hammerheads. They know that the senator has a lot of line, and they'll go down there. And and if they do manage to hook into one of these giant feeding hammerheads, they they don't know what they're in for. And a lot of people make a big deal about how the fish would die because the reel doesn't have enough drag. And and I guess they're they're more or less speaking of my occurrence. I was I was one of those guys that was blind to the drag usage. I I had a hammerhead die on me. I had to do the dirty work. I had to dispose the fish um, because I was using a senator. And and I quickly realized that night that I will never use a reel that's below par. And so I see it a lot in group chats, uh, specifically for land-based shark fishing. People go into Florida with low gear and um, or wheat gear, I should say. And, and I try to correct them on that. And a lot of people think I just kind of come off as an a-hole. But without actually saying like, hey, I was that guy, I killed a giant hammerhead, uh, it kind of makes you sound bad. Um, it's not something I ever bragged about, but it's 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 something that I really want to make sure it gets out there. Like people yeah. need to understand that you, you need to start small. Use your surf gear, use your spinning reels, work your way up from the three footers to the five footers to the eights and nines before you just, you know, see a cool picture, grab the cheapest big capacity conventional reel you can buy and and storm down to Florida to catch a, a fish you're not ready for, you know? Yeah, because that was another kind of direction I wanted to go with this, is like the, the graduation up to that level is, uh, yeah. you know, when you see that, I, I had a, a big senator for a while. No, I never had an opportunity to hook into a giant fish. I was catching, you know, bull sharks and lemons with it. Yeah. But I've seen that too, and it's like, you know, you see that, and I think people mean well, but it's like, it's at some point it's almost like you leapfrog over that insufficient yeah. gear and like you you go yeah. from like kind of like i don't know low level gear to like extremely high level gear and there's not much of a, a no there's not much room for yeah the the middle zone all i have is like a, a you know i've got a tiagra 80 wide and and then i got like a, a 50 wide yeah. but i try to stay away from even with that i try to stay away from putting something yeah. out there that could potentially get picked up but you also like Man, it's just hard to know what's going to pick it up. That's right. 
So it's either that or you're the guy that's catching black tips with a and excessively powerful reel. It's like, okay, right. damned if that, you do, that, don't, damned if you don't. So <laughs> Yeah. I guess that would be the confusing part for like newer guys is yeah. how they do really want to catch a big hammerhead. That's kind of like the pinnacle of shark fishing on the Atlantic coast. But um, so even if they do have the funds to go buy a big Avid Eddie Wide or Tiagra or something, they they might not necessarily have the experience of working with a fish yeah. that is at risk of dying after even a 20 minute fight. Um, so, uh, I mean, I guess what I can say is uh, surf gear and spinning rods and shallow water and small baits really works your experience up, not only just your knowledge of what gear to use, which is really important in, in today's today's time with social media is people need to have the experience and not just the right gear. Yeah. I guess if you get exponentially good at handling smaller sharks, I don't know, between the five to seven foot range. Right. Um, that's probably better to build off of that so you know what you're doing with when the big yeah. ones come along. So yeah. yeah. And that like honestly, like where I'm at, I don't know. I'm smart enough to know like I wouldn't even attempt to go do that without like I'm gonna reach out to some of like the information yes. resources and the guys that I know and be like, hey, you know, let me tag along. Let me let me, yeah. you know, I'll bring some bait. I'll do, you know, whatever to contribute to it. But yeah. you know, I don't think you're right. It's it's good. That was what, kind of one of the big things I wanted to bring up with you is, you know, a lot of guys I think want to do this. Like there's a, yeah. you know, the allure of catching a big shark is like a timeless thing. Yeah. You know, what you get out of that. But it's like, I think people just don't know where to start or where to begin. Yeah. So. And g going in the group chats and, and asking people to fish with you when you don't really have a big fish under your belt or name, people are hesitant to fish with you when yeah. I think I encourage the new guys to fish with experienced people. And if I'm friends with experienced people, I encourage them to fish with the new guys because, I mean, how else are they going to learn and know yeah. to do right without learning from somebody else, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I was kind of curious, too. I mean, this is sort of like all offhanded and, I don't know, subjective and opinion-based stuff. But, like, you know, now yeah. you're seeing now you're seeing more people that that they don't have the person to go with. And they're using – you're seeing more – people sending baits out with drones or those little RC boats. Like what is your thought around, around that? Like the bait, <laughs> the bait deployment tricks. Um, I guess it would lapse back to me saying I'm more of a realist. Um, there, there are risks that come with kayaking baits. Um, if, if you, I, th I feel like it kind of falls hand in hand. If you're afraid to get into a kayak, then you're also afraid to get down and dirty into the water with a fish yeah. that you cannot beach. Um, now let's say like older guys and retired guys or people with injuries, if they're going to use a drone or a boat because they're incapable of kayaking, then they should definitely have a crew of guys who can do things the right way or get their hands dirty. Yeah. Um, but majority of the time that people are using those technologies because they're afraid to get in the water, which is understandable. The kayaking is a scary thing to do. It's, it's not something that you enjoy doing. I mean, I, I do. But if it's a rough surf and you see the dark night, you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to die out here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and so and a lot of people are hesitant to do it. And now that we have technology, it's making it way easier for people to get in to to the parts of Florida and fish for fish that you're going to need a lot of hands and a lot of experience to, to release successfully. Yeah, because my concern with those boats was more like or the uh, 
RC boats or the drones too is like in the off chance or those scenarios where the fish makes it around like a like a channel marker or makes it around a something like you yeah. do not have the option now to get out there in the kayak and and right and free the fish it's like that that's yeah that's not there it's like you're sort of at the mercy of you know if they get around yeah. something but um it's cool stuff. I mean, I, I yeah. I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I didn't look at some of those aqua cats myself, like those those nice boats that can like drive yeah. through hell. I'm like, man, that'd be pretty legit. But then, for me, it's the price tag. I'm like, I just man, I, I just I yeah, can't. Yeah, I get feel it. like if I had one, I would lose it the first yes. night I use it. No, I, I know a, I would, especially the drone. That drone for me, it's going down. Like I'm I'm destined um, to ruin that. <laughs> This made me think of just the the tiger shark my girlfriend just caught. Um, I had my spinning reel with a five foot like heavy jig rod, and I had a go fish cam that she bought me for Christmas mm -hmm. rigged onto the cable so we could see the fish eat the bait. So I took oh, the bait. Cool. Yeah, I took the bait just past the sandbar. Uh, you know the lines kind of going into that trough zone in South Florida, and uh, when we released the tiger shark, it swam directly into the braid. And I lost my camera the first time I use it. So me and technology <laughs> just don't work well together. I think I'm gonna stay away from the drones and the boats. Dude, I'm the same way. I don't know what it is about me. I just I beat my gear to hell. Whatever can go wrong does. So I've gotten to a point now where I'm I'm almost too afraid to buy nice things. So like <laughs> dude, I've been like fishing for long enough. But if you like went into my garage and saw my like pathetic like gear setup, like I don't know. I'm kind of proud of it, though. I'm like, I've actually managed to do a lot with very little. I've got them like the most pathetic, like assortment of gear that you've ever seen. I'm like, dude, I it, it doesn't survive. My rods <laughs> break. Everything fails. But um, I guess that's a good topic too, though. Just just one thing to gloss over because you know you're 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 doing a style of fishing where it's I mean it's expensive stuff. It's expensive. There's no way around it. Like it, you're not, you're being unreasonable if you're not getting good gear at some point with when you're graduating up to those high level sharks. But like, you, what is your, like, how are you maintaining and taking care of the hardware? Like, you know, you're getting salt, you're getting sand, you're getting all kinds of crap in your gear. Are you, um, uh, is, are you on top of it when it comes to cleaning and yeah, less um, prevention? I think, I think this is probably one of my favorite topics we brought up. Um, <laughs> my friends sometimes get upset with me when we leave the beach at how long it takes me to spray off my cart, bed of my truck, reels. I mean, I'll take my spools off, my drag caps. I make sure that my gear is is has no sand laying inside of it. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many nights my girlfriend has just been telling me to come on and hurry up. Like I'll I'll pull out the water hose and I can just see the look on her face. Like here we go. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's important though if you want gear to last and catch yeah. fish for a long time you need to tend to it yeah big time because i know i've had those late nights where i get home and you know you pull up to the garage door and pull all your gear up and line it up it's like man that comfortable bed is calling me right now yeah, I'll, I'll wash it in the morning but it's just you can't really afford to do it mm -hmm. you know so uh, that's pretty funny um yeah I think, I think, you know, you've covered a lot of the good stuff. Is there anything like you're way more well-versed in this like world than me. So I know that, you know, in the back of your mind, like there's certain topics that are really important and things that need to be said. And, you know, I'm still, I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing my best to try to draw out the things that I think are important. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just not in that shark 
world, but I know it's a really important topic and it's like, it's a culture of fishing. That's like, it's sort of like exists in the shadows in some way. I, I think, as corny as that sounds, it's like, yeah, it's no, like, I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. But is there um, th anything that you feel like needs to be covered that maybe I didn't bring up? I'm trying to think of the smart stuff. I mean, it's obviously it's heavily conservation related. Yeah. Um, cause that's kind of the name of the game with that, with those fish. But, um, I think you did bring up, uh, most of the, the, the important points, but, um, I guess if I can add anything, it would be that, that anglers, whether they're experienced or not, they need, they need to understand that social media has a bigger impact on shark fishing than, than anything else does in nowadays. So even a picture of a five foot sandbar with all of its gills showing out of the water, it looks bad on the sport and, mm -hmm. and so many things that I see on Facebook and group chats or even just conversations that don't include pictures just kind of show the carelessness that a lot of anglers have nowadays. And, and it's, it's okay to do things your own way. You know, not everybody's going to do everything right, but it's, it's what is seen. Um, so I think, uh, I think people need to be a little more precautious with where they take their pictures uh, with the fish, uh, where the fish is, how it looks. Um, and, uh, and, and the sport isn't just about pictures, even though mm. majority of newcomers think that it is. And that's why they come into it is, uh, is, is, is it's not that important. The, the, the way the fish is treated and publicly viewed is what really matters in this sport nowadays. Yeah. And, and it's not so much about the pictures. like back in the seventies the, the and eighties, the guys down in South Beach Pier were killing these fish, and it looked awesome. It still looks awesome. You know, I wish times were the same, but unfortunately, it's not. And if we want our kids' kids to shark fish from the land, then then the the vast population of shark fishermen need to make changes in the way they post and publicize things. Yeah, I, that's that's a really good message with the social media thing. That's like a double-edged sword, too, because it's like it's the best way to magnify everything that's being done wrong, but it's also the best way nowadays to get good, proper information. So I guess beforehand, there really weren't those information resources. I remember that like the forum days, and um, you know, yeah. I remember poking around a decade ago on, on Texas, uh, what is it, TexasSharkFishing.com. That was a big one. That was like a really big site there for a while. I think that's what it was. Um, and you could get some information there, but you're right. It's it's social media can expose the stupidity really bad. Yeah. Um, but it but it's also a great place to get involved with like any of the online groups. Yeah. You know, every now and every now and then you'll stumble across one of the well managed groups on like Facebook or whatever, where it's like the moderators or the webmasters right. or whatever you want to call them do a good job of vetting out. Yeah. dumb stuff and and protecting like the sanctity of the of the page so it's like well it's also the best place to get information and to learn so you're so you're right i guess that's an interesting topic is like the picture taking thing like you want to catch that moment but it's way harder to do it if you're by yourself like i don't yeah. know if you you really can't you almost can't unless you've got a tripod set up yeah. on video i, mode. Uh, I have I have a lot of pictures on my phone where I, I mean, I fish on Jekyll by myself, uh, maybe more than I do with people, even my girlfriend. And so what I've come to do is I'll take my foot, which I know is about 11 inches long and I'll set it like just over the nose and I'll take a picture overhead so I can like, you know, yeah. show size reference. But I also, um, well, my, my rod tips in the truck right now, but I have tape 
uh, starting from the butt of my rod with the first piece of tape at five foot and then every 12 inches to the tip of my pole at 12. So it, it, it takes away the time of pulling a tape measure out of your bag, getting yeah. it on the fish, pulling the fish straight. Like if you're by yourself, you need to have little, little, uh, tips and tricks, I guess. Yeah. To, uh, to speed up your release game, you know, yeah, and you get data a, for, for yourself. Yep. You got to have a system in place. I know I got into a point now where it's like, I'll have a camera on a tripod, like mm -hmm. between the rod holders and all my gear for landing, either in a bag, like I wear a backpack a lot, like a dry bag, but it's like, Oh, I mean, for you, like how often are you having to chase these fish down the beach? Are you, are you staying planted feet and like they're coming to in front of your spread of your rods? Um, well, sometimes uh sometimes you can see like mullet and stuff and and like if you know the tides of the island then you have a specific spot to fish that certain tide and frequently if you can keep if you key in on your own little spot you'll you'll find bait there every time and sometimes you'll see the dorsals yeah. of fish eating the bait so like there was this one day me and my buddy who, who got me into it a long time ago were on the beach uh cast netting mullet and we saw a school of tigers come through. And I mean, they were right oh, off the beach. Oh, that's crazy. And we sidecasted a bait right in front of them and caught like the tiniest little five foot tiger. And it was so pretty looking. <laughs> and yeah. I think that really, that really uh, was one of the first, I guess, special fish we caught on Jekyll. And it really opened our eyes. Like we have a, a an, an extraordinary fishery here where mm -hmm. stuff like this isn't happening anywhere else on the Atlantic coast yeah yeah that's that's awesome and uh i always kind of wondered how people manage to pull it off if they're by themselves it's like you know i mean like when when the fish when you've hooked up with the fish i didn't know if you're oh. pretty much if you're pretty much chasing the fish because they're pulling you down the beach or if you're, if you're <laughs> staying sorry. put it, well no I mean, you're still expanding on good stuff um, but um yeah so uh if if it's an incoming current if it's an incoming current um, the fish will oftentimes try to fight against it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, if you hook into a fish on the incoming and it goes with the current, it's like a key indicator that it's probably a smaller bodied fish that, that is using the current to its advantage to fight longer. Yeah. Um, but the larger fish, they tend to go against it and against it, they will go like they will, they will pull you completely around the bend of the Island. I think that, uh, we we had done the Google Earth measurement um, with that that one tiger shark. I guess is a good example is where me and my buddy started at at a, a point on the island and ended up going about a mile to the right and then back to where we started and then a mile to the left. Which Jeez. it might have seemed it might have seemed like a long fight for a spinning reel, but we're using a lot of drag and mm -hmm. the rod tip was pretty much straight towards the water which is where that top shot mono came into play. Uh, the fish made about a 200 yard run and stayed stationary at that 200 yard range. And just kind of went back and forth for about yeah. 40 minutes or so before we landed it. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I know it's at some point you just got to be smart with, with the photo thing, obviously, and, and kind of read yeah. the situation for if, if you can even get that done. Cause I know, like I was mentioning earlier that even that black tip on the jetty, it just, there's just no, there was just no way to do it. You know, it's just, it wasn't worth the photo. I'm down there in the yeah. rocks. Photo's going to look like crap anyway. Right. And uh, I'm, I, I'm having to try to get these damn treble hooks out of its face. So there's, there's no, there's yeah. nothing to show for that whole experience, but a, 
actually a pretty entertaining story. And I mean, no, I, I am it's, a a, it's a black tip anyway, so I've caught plenty of yeah, them. Like if, if anglers are going to be in the sport and posting for not just like mm-hmm. the publicity, but more like bragging rights to other anglers, like let's say somebody catches a lemon shark that could be 11 foot. Then I would support them pulling the fish up and getting a clear picture with a tape measure pulled because you're dealing with a fish that has never been documented before. So yeah. in some circumstances, I believe it's, it's it wouldn't be okay, but understandable to to deal with a fish in, improperly. Um, but ninety nine percent of the time, uh, you know, you're you're not gonna want to do everything you can for a picture. And sometimes it's it's ideal to just get the fish back in the water and let it go. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of times I think it's just it's almost as easy to just take a video and hope for some good still frames. Yeah, right. Especially when you're a by GoPro. yourself. Yeah, or a GoPro. GoPro or yeah, but um, well, that's awesome, dude. You definitely like you. You brought a lot of good stuff to light that hadn't even been brought up yet with even some of the other guys that I've had on here with with shark stuff because it's like I know the tone of that conversation's like. It's fun to talk about how like badass a big shark is and like how <laughs> cool it is. But I know it's also one of those things where it's like there's it's just it's so abundantly full of misconceptions and lies and That's falsehoods right. and things that need to be fixed. So it's like really a, a responsible nature of the conversation yeah. needs to be centered more around that than like yeah. I, I can't help I mean, can't help myself tying in how awesome a giant tiger shark and a spin gear is. But you got to supplement that with like proper fish handling skills and reasonable right. things. So I know that's big with, with uh, with that group of guys. But, but um, I know people listening to this are gonna want to see the photos of the tiger shark and all that stuff on spin gear. And yeah. I can I can put it up on here. Okay. But you know the the folks that want like the instant gratification and things like that. Like where can they go to find your photos? So like like I don't know like your Instagram or wherever they can find you or like the name of your guide service if they'd be like, man, I, yeah. I want to go with this guy, um, things like that. So uh, our Instagram would be dream team underscore LBSF. It stands for land based shark fishing. Um, I do have my own personal, but I feel like I would rather promote, uh, the group project more than just yeah. myself. Um, and, and if anybody is an angler that is just willing to learn, I would, I would never charge them a dime to come fishing with us. You know, uh, it's, it's all about making sure the new guys understand how to start out the right way, because you don't have to have a TRX 80 wide or 130 to get out there and catch a, a simple five foot shark, you know? And in most cases, it is it is a uh, it is okay to start out with a spinning reel, and and earn your way into catching smaller fish and getting used to it before you just jump into something you're not ready for. Yeah, well, that's good because I actually feel like I'm in the shoes of those kind of guys that are curious but on the outside looking in. And sometimes, like for somebody like me, I'm always just wondering like who who can I reach out to to get information from. So you yeah. seem like one of those guys. I would encourage anybody that's like got it in their mind to maybe go yeah. try this to, you know, you sound like a guy that's probably willing to give information or tips yeah. or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. So that's awesome. But any other kind of like final thoughts or anything we may have left out? Um, I don't think so. Uh, if you're in the state of Georgia and you're trying to catch a shark, um, you know, feel free to give us a contact and, uh, we will definitely do our best to, to get you on something, you know, <laughs> That's awesome, man. I hope people reach out and who knows, maybe I'll be passing through Georgia sometime. I'm always looking to expand my uh, 
web of anglers who I can if, piggyback if, off of. <laughs> if Spencer who can, is who I can freeload Spencer, off of. Spencer Wonders watching this right now. I want to tell him that I helped him get the hammerhead. <laughs> he needs to come to Georgia and catch lemons on cast with me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been asking him to come here and fish with me for years, and he just doesn't do it. That dude gets around. You never know where that guy's at. I mean, geez, it's, Louise. It's, it's a special fishery, and I just know that he would love to add it to his books. So much that he hasn't found time to get a damn haircut. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Anyway, I almost wonder if yeah. he just like snuck up with a set of clippers and shaved the beard and the hair off. Maybe he'll lose some of that fish power. It's like I, Sam. I don't. Yeah, like I don't think Samson. I want to do that. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's his lucky charm it has to be that's the trick yeah <laughs> well dude i appreciate your time that was that was awesome i mean some of the stuff you've caught very envious of i encourage anybody to go take a look at it just a lot of a lot of awesome fish humble guy willing to share information and we need more voices like that out there in the i don't know yes, fishing ether so i appreciate <laughs> you using this little platform as as the yeah. one to to spread more good word on yes, proper sir. shark fish handling uh, techniques and things like that. So, thanks for having me on. Appreciate man. Was, your time, uh, dude. Awesome. Yeah, happy to have you on here. So, yes, sir. Have a good one, man. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.